Good morning. It's December 5th. It is another bright and pleasant morning in New York City, and this is your Indignity Morning Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Skoka, taking a look at the day and the news. The Israeli military continues to grind its way into southern Gaza. The New York Times reports that according to the United Nations, the campaign of bombing as collective punishment against the population of Gaza has displaced nearly 1.8 million people, or 80% of Gaza's population, as people have been driven out of more than two-thirds of the entire area. The death toll, according to Gazan health officials, is over 15,500 now. Elsewhere on the front of the Times, the paper continues its effort to communicate to readers the objective facts about how bad Donald Trump plans for his second term to be. The headline is, Second Term Could Unleash Darker Trump, Weaker Safeguards on Authoritarian Urges. It opens quite nicely with a recollection of Donald Trump one year after the Tiananmen Square massacre, praising the Chinese government for its willingness to show strength against protesters. And then it connects that to both his own escalating fantasies of applied strength that he's offering on the campaign trail, and to the substantive abuses he already laid down in his first term. And it connects all of that to the policy and personnel planning that Trump loyalists in the think tank world and within the Republican Party have been openly doing about how to make sure that a second Trump administration would not be burdened by professionalism on the part of government officials, but would be animated entirely by personal loyalty and retribution. It's a valiant attempt to pull everything together, although it's also a reminder of how bad the existing record is, in that it talks about Trump's enthusiasm for extrajudicial violence, but fails to recollect that, in addition to praising foreign leaders' application of it, he spent the previous presidential campaign directly boasting about how the U.S. Marshals had executed an anti-fascist fugitive. So it's very true that things are going to be worse if he gets elected again, but it's important to frame that fact up by remembering how very, very bad things actually already were last time around. As evidence of the denial that this kind of coverage is trying to overcome, look no further than page A16 in the Times, where a story at the bottom of the page describes a coordinated effort to get Chris Christie to drop out of the Republican presidential race, in which Republican donors, strategists, and pundits are publicly pressuring Mr. Christie to follow the lead of Tim Scott and Mike Pence and formally end his campaign. Many would like to see him throw his support behind Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor who has risen in the polls in early voting states in recent weeks. There are just a few problems with the idea of pressuring Chris Christie to help unify the Republican Party behind Nikki Haley to stop Donald Trump. One is that Chris Christie has almost no support to throw behind anyone else. Another is that Nikki Haley essentially has no support, and adding Chris Christie's almost non-existent support to her incredibly tiny and marginal support still wouldn't make the least bit of difference because of the third problem, which is that Republican voters want Donald Trump to be their presidential nominee. And there isn't any formula for an anti-Trump united front within the Republican Party that would outnumber the pro-Trump front that is in control of the party. Which leads to the ultimate problem with the theory of Christie backing Haley, which is that Chris Christie, goon that he is, does sincerely oppose Donald Trump, maybe if only because Donald Trump nearly killed him by giving him COVID, whereas Nikki Haley is running on a sort of vague message of relative youth and relative competence, expressly designed not to antagonize Trump's supporters. And if Trump doesn't drop dead and continues to cruise to the nomination as he seems to be doing, she will fall in line behind him, just like she did last time, and just as almost every other Republican in the non-confrontational alternative-to-Trump space will do. Page A17 has four bylines on the arrest of career State Department official Manuel Roca, who allegedly spent his long and illustrious career 
as a loyal secret agent for Cuba within the innermost circles of the United States' Latin American policymaking. Part of his cover, the story says, is that Mr. Roca embraced socialism in his youth, according to friends, but seems to have shifted into an anti-Havana conservative at the behest of his handlers over the years, possibly, federal authorities suggested, to avoid suspicion that he was sympathetic to their cause. This posture as a passionate right-winger apparently led to his decision as ambassador to Bolivia to speak out against the presidential candidacy of Evo Morales, warning that should Bolivian voters support the leftist, it would jeopardize assistance from the United States. This was, in retrospect, apparently a Cuban effort to inspire voters to support Morales. The fact that it was indistinguishable from a sincerely oafish attempt by an American official to influence the voters against Morales is maybe a lesson of its own in our Latin American statecraft. That is the news. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going. And if all goes well, we will talk again tomorrow.